John chapter 1, verse 29. I shouldn't be too long here today. John 1, 29. This was a kitchen table message I wrote, and the Lord had it on my heart for a while. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. That's John 1, 29. And the title of the message is The Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. The first point I'd like to point out is there's an exemplatory lamb in Scripture in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Genesis 3, 21. The exemplatory lamb that we see that came before John the Baptist. Genesis chapter 3. Most of you are fairly familiar with this portion of Scripture. Uh, at least it's a common portion of Scripture that's taught in Sunday school. You know, when we were up at north of the, uh, I want to say Iron Curtain, when we were north of the Yukon, we, jumped, we bumped into whole villages that could not explain to us who Adam and Eve were. And we were in, uh, I've been in villages in Africa that couldn't explain who Adam and Eve were. We have a lot to be thankful for just because of this country's Christian heritage. And uh, it is a wonderful thing not to have to explain that from the beginning. But the uh, scripture I want to point out is that the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.21, they, uh, most of you are familiar with this, this, this story, and uh, they took and ate of the fruit, and the day that they ate of the fruit, they began to die. I believe something went wrong in their spiritual life as well as their physical life at that moment, and death was introduced to mankind. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now least we put, put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat it, and live forever. That's in verse 22. What happened after before that was the curse. And uh, Adam and Eve were, cur uh, were received a reprobation rebuke from God the Father, and if you notice, and I'm looking at, uh, he, uh, he says to them, they sewed fig leaves together in verse 7, and they heard the voice, voice of the Lord walking in their garden, and the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence, I'm in Genesis 3, 7, and the Lord amongst, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Notice the Lord called him. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Do you think God knew the answer to that? <laughs> Wherefore I commanded thee that thou shouldn't not eat. And the man said, The woman and, of, and whom thou gavest to me, he blamed his wife uh, with me, showed you his, spiritual, his spiritual, spirituality or lack thereof. She gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, 
what is this that thou hast done? And the Lord said unto the serpent, he curses the serpent, and he talks about Adam in the field. And Adam called his wife Eve in verse 20. Did you notice in verse 20 after he tells out the sweat of the brow and the, the woman uh, uh, experiencing childbirth, in verse 20, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Why did he call her Eve? If she was a mother of all living, could have named her anything, really, right? But Eve means living. He knew that God gave him the plan of salvation that was before the foundation of the world. And he knew out of his wife's body would come the Savior eventually, genetically. And that will address probably tonight when we look at uh, things that happened before the world was made. And the Lord said, and the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. Okay, let me go up here. I want to see where he took and unto Adam also the wife he made. There it is, verse 21. I keep jumping between the two because my finger's too fat. Unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. He used, he told them the plan of salvation there in verse 19. Explained to them how one day out of the results of Adam and Eve, the first Adam and the first Adam, the first and the last Adam would come. And uh, he said to them, he said, uh, blood has to be shed for mankind's sin. So he grabbed uh, the lamb. I'll take liberties with that portion of the text. And he said, the Lord, and the Lord God made coats of skin and clothed them. We don't see him eating these things. We don't see any butchering or anything like that in Scripture before then. But that was the first time I believe anything had to die. And something innocent, innocent blood had to be shed to cover Adam and Eve's sin. And there's the plan of salvation laid out for Adam and Eve. And it's echoed in the next chapter between Cain and Abel. And it's echoed in Abraham. And it's echoed all through Scripture, the plan of the exemplatory lamb being slain to cover our nakedness and our sin. It was the first time we see by example that blood was shed to cover mankind's sin. It's, ex it's accentuated and it's brought back to our attention again in Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Oh, that's the chapter that deals with the law. The law. And we're in the Old Testament, preacher. What's this about the law? Look at Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1 talks about how for centuries innocent blood had to be shed to cover mankind's sin. And in this portion of the Old Testament, by the law of the Lord, innocent blood had to be shed to cover mankind's sin. Talks about a bullock in the first few verses. And let's see here. If any man, this is the offering of burnt offering, blemish. I want to bring to your attention, if the offering be a burnt sacrifice, okay, well, I'll just start from the beginning. And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him, out of the tabernacle of the congregation, well, there's a church again, saying, speak to the children of Israel and say unto them, 
If any man of you being an offering unto, bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring out bring your offering of the cattle, even the herd, and of the flock. There's those lambs again. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. He shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. That word atonement shows up. It's taken the blame for something. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priest, Aaron's son. It goes on and explains again how they do the same thing with a, a lamb. And inward parts, uh, Aaron's lay his parts on the altar, son. And about verse 10, And if the offering be one of the flocks, namely of the sheep or of the goats, and it could have been that in Genesis, could have been a sheep or a goat, but I believe it was a sheep because it's echoed in the New Testament as a sheep. Uh, somebody was explaining to me just the other day how we used to eat lamb, a lot of lamb at our house, and uh, how great we really appreciated the taste of it. But somebody was telling me and expounding on the wonderful taste of goats. I've never eaten goat, but I've heard it's a delicacy and it's, as good, it's good to eat. This wasn't killed to eat originally. They were killed for their blood to be shed for mankind's sin. And the inward part, uh, and the priest Aaron essentially, and if the offering be of the flocks, namely the sheep or the goats, for the burnt sacrifice, he shall bring it a male without blemish, and he will kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord, and the priest Aaron's son shall sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar. You get a picture of what took place every day in the church. They, they, when they, they came in, and they'd have that poor little goat or that lamb, that innocent lamb or that goat or even a, a dumb ox. It couldn't really be dumb, but he had to be innocent. And he had to be, they'd bring him in, and they'd butcher him right at the door of the altar, door of the interior of the inward parts of the sanctuary. And they'd butcher him and put his blood or their blood on the altar. And it had to be perfect. It wasn't uh, maimed or scarred or blemished or dirty. They even washed their legs to make sure they weren't carrying any sins on their legs. See, these animals were representation of innocent blood being shed for sin. They were Levitical lambs. They were lambs of the law. They were lambs of perfection. Now let's go to the New Testament, John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16. The common verse we use to summarize Scripture, to bring the Gospels to a conclusion, John 3, 16. We touched on it in Sunday school today. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. You could put a little parenthesis there, the Lamb. He gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that's you, whosoever, brother Karen, or sister Karen, <laughs> brother Ben, brother Derek, brothers, brothers, but he gave his only begotten son. 
that whosoever believeth that if you believe in him, you should not perish, but have everlasting life. Does that mean if I accept Christ as my personal Savior, I'm going to live forever? Well, no. I'm going to die a physical death, but I'm going to live forever in eternity. Some contradictory to what I said this morning for a minute there. But you will live forever because that innocent blood, that lamb, that Jesus was shed for all your sins. Just as they drew the blood at the doorway of the tabernacle for those innocent, from those innocent animals and shed that blood uh, on the tabernacle, on the cross for you, you have your way into heaven, into eternal life. Pretty simple, doesn't it sound? It sounds simple to us because we can look back and see through the examples laid out for Scripture because God continually appointed pointed from Genesis chapter 3 on to a Messiah, they called it, uh, the Hebrews called it, a Savior coming to take the penalty for our sins. Why? So we could walk back out of that sanctuary and enter into heaven. Because, you know, there's no sin in heaven. You want to know what sin is about? You want to know what heaven's about? Just imagine a place without sin. Just imagine a place without sin. Nothing will die there. Nothing will be born there either. I don't, can't say. But I know people won't be born there. That's why the angels don't have uh, uh, marriage and given in marriage. That's why when we get there, we won't be given in marriage. We don't want children born there. Now, there'll be children in heaven. All different ages, I imagine. I don't know if they'll grow or not. I just know they won't have sin. Because my Bible, I trust in God's word. And it says there in Genesis that innocent blood covers sin. And it says that in every book of the Bible. I'm hard-pressed, and I'm challenged from time to time to find salvation in every book of the Bible. It might be difficult from time to time. That's one of the reasons the Apocrypha was eliminated from the original 1611 text, because they could not find salvation in some of those books. One of the reasons. So, as you examine Scripture and you look to the Lamb, your salvation you can trust and lays in the Lamb. He had to be singular. He had to be perfect, and he had to be complete. And... He came into this world not to be a measuring stick like I was taught for me to live up to, although he is that. He is a perfect example for us in his perfection. And I can strive to, I don't adhere always, but it's because uh, I'm human, but uh, what would Jesus do does come into play. What would Jesus do? Well, sometimes I'm not Jesus, and I can't live up to that standard. But I'm not condemned. Because in John 17, what does it say? 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Let me get to my Bible. It says we won't be condemned, that we condemn ourselves. God didn't come into the world to condemn us. He came into the world to save us. And if we don't put our faith and trust in him and his word, oh, you got an emphasis on his word. Yeah, because I read John 1, 1, and it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God made the world, 
with his word. And in John 1.14, it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Another illustration of the lamb that was shed for us. God kept his word to the point he allowed his only begotten son to carry sin, knowing that for three days he could not enter in through the gates of heaven because there is no sin there. He was separated from his son for the first time in eternity for our sake. His blood was shed for our sake. His perfection was temporarily marred for our sake. And in the fact that he carried that perfection or he carried that penalty of our sins made him even more perfect in the fulfillment of God's word, his word, the Holy Spirit's seal. It's pretty neat how the scripture unfolds itself. And you're talking 15, 2,500 years, and it rings through, true to the very end. You can go to Revelations and you'll see the lamb again and how God keeps his word in accordance to the lamb. It's a wonderful thing that we could partake in that. By what right do we have to come to that? By God's grace, by God's mercy, by God's kindness, by God's love. We have absolutely no right to it, no more than Adam and Eve. We're part of God's plan to be fulfilled. We'll look at that possibly tonight too if we get through all that. Before the world was made, God had this Bible written. He had it worked out. And I don't know where, well, I know where I fit in one part of it. I know I'm on my way to heaven because I believe in the book and I try to practice the book. And each one of us should take part in that and try to practice it to the best of our ability. But we'll fall short. And as we come into the tabernacle, we should go before and be reminded of the lamb that died for us, that made it all possible. There's no way I can get to heaven on my own. There's no way I can accomplish what God wants me to accomplish without his word, his help through the Holy Spirit and his divine guidance. You're not going to get that out in the woods looking at trees. You're not going to get that in the prairie looking at cows. That's where I used to get my solace from. You're not going to get what God wants you to have in entirety Till something you understand what's perfect that's been sacrificed for you. In addition to that lamb being sacrificed to you, he has his word in print in your lap right now. That's as perfect as that sacrifice. There's been men spent their lives trying to change this book, trying to change the words in it, trying to manipulate it to say different things, trying to prove it wrong but yet it stands. It stands in principle. It stands in fact. Archaeologists, uh, the whole, do you know the whole state of Israel? Why, why they hate the state of Israel? Because it's founded on the biblical map laid out in your scriptures. And that's why the, his neighbors hate it. That's why the Palestinians argue with him over it. It is so perfect. You can stake your life on it. You can stake your life on it. Abraham did. Adam and Eve did. He knew that she was going to be the mother of all living because he took God at his word. 
Each one of us have an opportunity because we have been given the tree of knowledge through our genetic ancestry, through Adam and Eve, and we can make a decision on how much of that we want to follow. And that's another reason God loves us because he gives us a choice. Sort of like my wife. She asks me what I want to eat. I don't always tell her what I want to eat. It's, I'll just eat whatever she puts out. She makes It's sort of like when you color a little picture, and then I go put it on the refrigerator. <laughs> God's happy with you, with your effort, with your adherence to his word. The whole system of a church is to remind people to encourage, to embellish, and to remind, to expound upon, to study, to practice as much as we can as a group, which we can accomplish much more as a group than we can as an individual. It's one person. Look at our website. You'll see what one person can accomplish. And the Lord will bless you. The Lord will bless you as you draw nigh to him. Even if you don't know Christ as your Savior and you start looking into Scripture, he will draw you. The Holy Spirit will draw you. We'll look at those verses in the, when we get to the Holy Spirit study. And as you commit yourself to his word, it'll unfold to you. And you'll understand, just like the ancient prophets and saints did, that blood has to be shed. Now, could that little lamb be stuffed back in? Could that blood ever be taken back? I don't see it. I don't see it. All right, let's all stand.